Podcasting with Kerry Jones. Hi guys, it's that time of year again, and welcome to part one of my Christmas podcast and summary of 2023, where I take a clip from each of my guests from the past year, and next weekend I will be putting up part two. This year I have met and chatted with many new guests, and I want to thank all who took part, and this year I've had a great season to be honest, and I hope you've had too, and I'm already looking forward to next year. So sit back with a beer, or your favourite malt, and not forgetting a mince pie, and enjoy. And wishing you all a Merry Christmas. We kick off with episode 121, Peter Boyle. I tell you the story about my first boat, the first boat I ever, I ever purchased, no. No, it I was, so. <laughs> it was actually the first time I'd ever been arrested. Arrested? And it was, um, uh, and uh, oh, yeah, I can see what's coming up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was actually myself. I mean, well, I suppose I was brought up close to the river, you know, and uh, close to the River Finn. <laughs> and that's great, it's been great everything else, you know. But uh, Jesus, me and me, mate Paddy, uh, I was, uh, we were friends from, we were friends from play school, like you know. So uh, there, there was a storm one day, and the storm had blown a tree down across the river, you know, and this was great. So we were, but we were 14, 14 at the time. I just won 14. <laughs> and uh, I said, Jesus, Packy, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll make a hut, you know, and right beside the river, fantastic. This was going to be our fishing lodge, you know. So uh, we decided then we needed a pool table. So um, I, you know yourself over here in Ireland that you have the, over here in Ireland, you have the kind of undertaker slash pubs, you know what I mean? So uh, yeah. a pub generally served as an undertaker's too. I'd say you would have seen that. And I'm not sure what England is like, but definitely over here yeah. or Wales is like it's before. So uh, we decided, right, they were renovating up the local pub in the village that I was from, you know. So I says to Packy, I said, you know what we'll do? We go and we take the pool table, you know. Not a word about actually buying it or borrowing it, but we're actually going to steal the pool table. So three of us headed up the road and, and uh, we got into the pub. The pub was open because they're renovating it. And, but nobody told us the pool table had a slate top on it. It's heavy, isn't it? And I said, listen, the two of us halfway standing at the corner of the pool table trying to lift it and oh, could no more lift it than the man in the moon, you know. So next thing we were looking around in the same room and here there's these couple of coffins all hanging up around the, the wall, around the walls of the, 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 the room, you know. So I says, Paddy, I says, Jesus, there's one with a lid on it. And here us, we get trying to screw this lid off. Somewhere he gets lying in the coffin, you know. Passed over, Mark, so we couldn't get the lid off anyway. So we decided, Jesus, wouldn't it be a great idea if we were to lift the coffin and use the coffin as a raft and we float it down the river, down to the hut, you know, because the village was actually built on top of the river almost, you know. Yeah. So this idea was seconded anyway and approved. So the two of us got each end of a coffin. Uh, we carried it down the stairs and we were crossing the main road with it. And as we were crossing the main road, the RUC landed in the paddy wagon and here was these two lads walking with this coffin across the road. So of course they stopped, <laughs> put us into the back of the paddy wagon, left the coffin on the side of the road and brought us up to the barracks. So he says, the policeman says to me, he says, uh, who will I notify? He says, is there anybody you want to ring? And I says, well, 
who else want to ring but me mother? You know, <laughs> I had to ring my mother and I said, Mom, I'm in trouble. I was arrested <laughs> by the police for stealing a coffin out of the pub. So, of course, like any Irish mother, first things first, she got on the backbone to the local priest and the local priest landed up to the barracks. And God love him, he's since deceased. But he turned around to the police and he told the police that he had asked us to move the coffin for him. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! So I tell you, I may ask was queer. I got queer, got a queer timbering when I got home. By I tell you, it was raw for days after. Jeez. But it's it, it, the talk of it was the talk of the county. This coffin left beside the road, and nobody in it, and no lid on it, and ah, <laughs> oh, stop! No, that was that, that was the innocence back then, I suppose. You know, that was that was, that, that was my first for away with a with a, with a boat. Hundred and seventeen, Charles Jardine. Yeah, so you went to America. Went to New York um, and got fated and, you know, it was just a thrill. I mean, I, and I, but I, I, I honestly, Kerry, I don't know how it came up. I mean, I got a phone call to say it, it's not common knowledge, but you are have been asked, you know, it, I don't know if it's would you like. I don't think they quite put it like that, but they said – we want to induct you into the uh, Hall of Fame. And I, I, I cried, I actually cried. I mean, to have that accolade. Yeah. You, you know, when you... Must be doing something right. Well, I, I don't know what. I mean, that's the honest truth. I don't know what. Because you've got America, which is not just one country. It's, it's a number of countries. And to be known in that sort of width is extraordinary. And they've got millions of fly fishers, not just the odd thousand. What names do you follow in the footsteps of now then? Oh, crikey. Or join? Well, there's Lefty Cray and there's Joan, lovely Joan Wolf, who I got to meet again after all these years, and she's still, still bright and nimble at 94, 96. Wow. I think I, I saw the photograph. Yeah, she's wonderful. Um, and... Um, he, Ted Nima, that oh gosh, it goes on. All the Catskill fly tires. You've got um, Dave Whitlock, um, Lefty Cray, Flip Powell. Just it, it's a Eve George LeBranch. It, uh, it just goes on. They've even inducted Isaac Walton. He wasn't around, but they've inducted yeah. him. Um, Preston Jennings. Um, it just goes on, and it's the nearest I'll ever get to Robert Redford. Inducted was him. he on it? He's on it because of um, the river, river runs through it. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, well. Oh, that must have been Hoagie so Carmichael. There's another one. Jazz, mm. jazz. Um, the the jazz. I think he was a pianist, but um, his son, so, who I know. So, what was the award then? What was it? A, a plaque or something? Yes, yeah, so you're. A, I'm a plaque on the wall. You know. Wow. I know. I'm there for all time. 116, Samantha Fanning. End of September, and it was a warm September, and of course the fish are coloured then, as we know now. And it was just getting dusk, and you're sort of waiting, and the midges are biting, and waiting for the bats to come out. And I thought, oh, I've got to get off this grass. And it was just getting dusk, and I casted the line under the bush, and I thought, I'm sure I saw something move then. So I pulled it back. And I could see it follow. 
And just as the line was coming round off the bend like that, it took. Nice. And it whacked it, honestly, and I'll never, ever forget it. Now, I've never played a seat up before. Didn't know what to do with it. This fish came belting towards me, so I'm stripping the line in as fast as I can. Were you on your own then? And he was about, I don't know, oh. 200 yards upstream of you then. But he could hear the splash. So he came running. I'm laughing, literally laughing now because this fish had come running to me. Then it decided it probably got in a little bit shallow. So I got, got the tension on it like this. It was leaping out of the water, Kerry. So I saw this fish. I'm no good with guessing weights and things, but it was a big fish. It yeah. was a lovely big fish. Out of the water, it came back in out of the water again and started running up towards the weir back down as fast as it went and it went to go back under where it came from and you know when you know you're doing the wrong thing but you do it anyway and I tried to stop it and off he came oh, but that was the first time you that was the first time I will never, ever forget it. Laughing boy, we call him, because I was laughing and he got away. Wow. 119. Neil O'Shea. You were telling me there was a, a method you used, which is quite unique. You'd row the boat over, back and forth over the line. You'd fish it with a double-handed rod, it's, and it's 90% uh, with a floating line here. So, you know, it makes it very easy. You use two flies and uh, you cast uh, 20, 25 yards and you retrieve it back nice and steadily. And the boat is held in position. She's not dropped down on where the fish are lying. So you'd be looking for certain marks on the lake? They'd be kind of standard marks like that. They are, you know, like that. They're at the points of islands where the river flows into the lake and certain... Uh, Ledges on the water, ledges where the fish would rest around around them, you know, not in deep water. It's not, and as early in the springtime here, there is probably five or six lies that are worth fishing, and boats take their tormented and things like that. You know, you'll row the boat, the water rock, or you would have a, a flow of wind taking, in the wind direction, taking it across the point of an island, and the fish will lie in these areas and you'll fish them back and forth, or fish them for. Maybe half an hour, 45 minutes, you'll give it a rest for 20 minutes, half an hour, and you'll try it again. Or you'll wait and you'll see a fish jump and you'll try it then. That's the way it works. It's kind of, I think, the only other place I do it is in the Hebrides like this, like that. Have you always lived there? I only moved about a quarter of a mile. Right. And that's where you are now? Oh, the only the only, yes, well, I'm sitting here now looking out in the lake. It's a bit dark now at the moment, but... Uh, the only reason I moved is I have a better view from where I am now than where I was before. <laughs> 122, Chris Haig. So I'm in Dubai and we're, we're staying on the farm, myself and my wife. And uh, I've gone out there, a bit of saltwater fishing and the family holiday. So we laid on sunbed and, and uh, sees all this activity on water. So Bev says to me, you, you, you like it? They're like a cat on that tin roof. What's up there? I said, look at all them fish that are jumping. I said, Dell, I'm bait fish underneath. She said, how do you know? I says, because they're coming through the surface. And I says, look at birds feed, trying to feed from above. So she went, you're going fishing tomorrow. You'll get plenty of fishing tomorrow. I went, I'm going to get my rod now. So I nipped up to the room, come back down, 
strongly rattled. She went, where are you going? I said, I'm going to walk up to the top. And uh, she says, oh, wait a minute, I'll go walk up with her. So, walks up beach. I could see this bait ball getting shoved about. Anyway, it started coming towards me, so make, made a cast. Bang, I felt the weight of a fish, but all of a sudden, nothing there. So when I pulled in, it just, obviously, it was a toothy critter because it had just gone straight through my line. So oh, I quickly no. put, yeah, yeah. So I quickly put a trace on. And I made a couple more casts and I started picking needlefish up. Have you ever caught needlefish? No, you haven't. They are the smelliest fish ever. You know when you catch grayling, you can smell grayling on your hands? Well, they are are a lot, lot uh, more smelly than what they are. Honestly, they've got to be the smelliest fish in the world. So I'm releasing these needlefish, and then I make another cast, and I thought, this is something bigger. And when I got it in, it was a barracuda. Uh, And I think what was happening, Kerry, were barracuda were shoving needlefish into beach, into surface, and some more small bait fish and, and feeding on them. So I'm watching my hands, and I'm releasing this barracuda, and this boat pulls around the corner, big red and white boat with security right down side. So my wife begs this to me, uh, they're watching you, Chris. I went, well, what am I doing wrong, babe? I want to join the fishing line. And, you know, what can I possibly be doing wrong? She went, if I were you, I won't cast again. Look at them, they're all looking at you. And they were all in white ropes. So I brought my rod down. I released this fish, brought my rod down, and we're walking back down the beach. And as we're walking down beach, this boat is actually tracking us down beach. And she went, look, they're not, they're not, they're not going. They're not prepared to go. I went, Bev, do me a favour. She went, what? I went, take that hat off. She got an hat on. It was size, her umbrella, the sun hat. I says, we might as well, we might as well be walking down beach with a, a, a flare. Yeah. They can spot us at 100 miles away. Anyway, we, ming- we got back down to our hotel and we sort of mingled in and laid on the sunbeds and I put rod underneath and, they obviously lost us and they pulled away. But that night we were driving off Palm into the city for some, uh, just some shopping. And <laughs> as we're driving off Palm, you know the big motorway signs? You have a motorway that light up. Yeah. This sign was huge and it said strictly no fishing on the Palm. Jeez. So <laughs> that was a near miss. So we were nearly, uh, we were nearly banged up a board on that popular TV programme. 123. John Graham. A long time after, we were fishing on Jim's farm up in Sandavry. And my brothers, the river, we'd had thunderstorms during the day, and the river had risen to about 10 inches or more. And it was quite difficult to cross now to the other side. So they left me on this bank. For the first time, I was left on my own in the dark. And they crossed the river to fish it from the other side, the yeah. big pool. And it was full of silk. There was silk there. You, you know, you couldn't, you go in and you could only just see your feet, like, see? Usually, no good, but depending on where you're fishing. So anyway, I was sitting there on the grass now. I watched my brothers cross the river, see the white water where they were crossed, and out of sight. And I was left there on my own, shivering and frightened. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, crash! Right opposite me, by there, see? Big sea trout jumped, see? And then crash again another one. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, Christ! So anyway... 
<laughs> I picked my rod up and I waded in and I was trying to cast now and I put the badger on. What made me put it on? I don't know why I tied them up and I put the badger lure the on. Tandem. The tandem on, right? And I had a hell of a job to cast with it because there was a bit of wind. Now, in this very spot, in low water, normally you wouldn't fish there. It was just shallow piece, but it had a bit of a neck on it. So, and it used to open up, and the light used to hit it there, even on the darkest of nights, it was a sort of light, and you could see the gravel line on the other side, like, see? Yeah. And I'd be casting at this gravel, trying to get close to it, trying to get close to it, couldn't get, and working my way down, and another sewing jump, frightened the life out of me, <laughs> and I'm fishing away, and then all of a sudden, man, I was into a fish. It was the first big fish that I had hooked. And you're on your own? Frightened. And on my own. Frightened to death. Frightened to death. Splash, splash, crash. White water everywhere. Oh, tell of a job to hold on to it. Played it there for I don't know how long I played it. And I don't know many times it had gone slack. And I thought I'd lost it. And I was pulling in like that. And then all of a sudden, I looked up, there's a fish lying in front of me. He was lying at my feet. Uh, huge. I scooped the fish up onto the no back. No net, no net. Nothing. I killed the fish and I put it down on the bloody grass bank by, there, by the side of me. I couldn't stop looking at it. Where were your brothers? My brothers and Cam, they were still down in the pool. 127, Lucinda Ewing. Have you ever been down to Wales? I have, actually. I spent, well, we spent the last four summers with family down in a place. I call it Dolagaloo, but it's pronounced Dol. Guess why? (laughs) (laughs) Dolagaloo. Dolagaloo, that's what what we call it. The kids call it Dolagaloo, but I have learned this Dol. Guess why? (laughs) Up in North Wales, yeah. There's good salmon fishing up there and sea trout, actually. Yeah. Well, I didn't realise that, and um, one of the guys I know who's done it. <laughs> Tickle me, I don't know. Don't um, Do you know what? I should know better as well, because when I was a child, my dad worked in North Wales, so I spent a lot of time down kind of as if the swelly and places like that, and, oh, yeah. and Porth Madder. Yeah, so I, I did get to know the names of places. But So how did it all start for you then? When was um, the first time you picked up the rod? I picked up a rod... <laughs> About six years ago, believe it or not, um, my partner fished a little bit, not much. Um, he was just into his spinning and stuff like that. He used to go spinning for salmon and stuff like that. He did a little bit of trout fishing at the still waters on a single-handed, but was never into it. And All right. He took me out one time and um, took me to a reservoir and did a bit of bait fishing, you know, with the maggots and split-shot weights, getting them down. And I started off, that's how I caught my first fish. And I thought, oh, I like this. <laughs> <laughs> and then we kind of progressed onto the river and then I started catching little brown trout with little meps and things like that. So I was like, oh, this is good. And like it was going a little bit further. And there was one day I was fishing and I was just with a little mep again for trout. And this next thing, I got this great big pull. And um, it was like, it was on the River Tees. I don't know if you know the Tees, if you like your no. trout trail and it's quite popular for it. Um, yeah. Not big fish, but you get them in large numbers. And it was this, 12 pound river tea salmon I'd hooked and it was just 
really unexpected and I was wow. like playing it on three pound line and I got it in I was like what on earth is this and <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was like, come on, we go to the pub so I can tell everybody about what I've caught. Oh, that was it. So, 128, Ken Kennedy, or five main locks. Am I right in saying in Orkney? They- Harry, Swanee, Hanlon, Stennis, and Boardhouse. Um, each one, each one are different. They're all different in their own ways. Um, Harry's limestone, quite clear. Most of the time, gin clear in the midsummer. Boathouse, Swanee and Hanland are what we call brown water, you know, they're peaty. And Senis is, again, unusual in its own way that it's brackish. It's got an outlet to the sea, so the, the salt water comes in and out of the tide into Senis. Would you get... So uh, we get sea trout. Yeah, I was going to ask, you get sea trout in there then as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they come through and, well, usually the, the, the Senis is connected to Harry. There's a bridge at Brodgar and it's got eyes in the bridge and they've got flaps on them so that when the tides are high and Stennis fills up with salt water, it shuts the flaps, it shuts the gates, so none, no salt water can get into Harry. As the tides get smaller, the water level drops and then the flaps open again and Harry starts um, emptying into Stennis again. The, the two which come to mind when people talk about Orkney is Harry and Swanee are, are they, yeah. would you say they are the, the main two where people come to fish yeah Harry is a jewel in the crown without a doubt doesn't matter what the weather is you're always a corner you can and you can find fish in it so what sort of size <laughs> would those be then well Harry and Swanee are they big locks yes I suppose the, the Harry especially is big the size that escapes me now it's thousands of acres anyway. Um, oh, right. When you say the fish go out into the deep in the summer, yeah. how, how deep would that be? 12 to 14 feet. Oh, right. So that all, that's all it is, that depth. That's all. That's, that's as deep as where the Swanee is a lot deeper than that. But uh, you catch fish around the sides of Swanee most of the time, and there's scaries. You know, that's rocks, boulders, islands. You know, it's they're all pretty... Um, it can be dangerous and uninitiated in boats, you know. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, there's many as an outboard get smashed by people who are on it for the first time. You say, Harry, you can be motoring up the middle of the loch, and if you don't know where you are and where the you know the scaries are everywhere, it's very much some of the like some of the Irish lochs. Hundred and thirty, Anne Kitchener. So Andy and I, uh, last April, we were in the states. We were at what was then called the IFTD, which is the big trade show in, in Salt Lake City. And we got up. We were getting ready to go to the show. And uh, I saw Andy. He, he kind of looked a bit, I don't know, he came over all emotional. And he said, uh, I've got an email. And the actual, he read it out. Well, he tried to read it out four times, but I don't think he'd mind me saying he, he was pretty, he was pretty choked up. Um it said, um, we are pleased to inform you that the Queen has signed off the Prime Minister's recommendation that your company be awarded a Queen's Award for Enterprise. But we couldn't tell a soul. We couldn't tell a soul we were under a strict embargo then. So we had to go into a show that day 
a very busy show in the state. With two big smiles. Not, oh, we were grinning all day. People must have thought we were on something. Honestly, we were just buzzing. Um, and uh, but because it couldn't be formally announced until the Queen's birthday, that's when it all comes out. It comes oh, out in the London it? Gazette. Yeah, and it was all change, change, change. Um, then from when it from when it launched, it was just magic. But yeah, it was just an incredible moment. So what happens then is uh, on the Queen's birthday, we were able to make the announcements and we went to town and made all sorts of social media announcements and uh, we did quite a lot of interviews and things. Um, and then in July, we got to go to Buckingham Palace and there was a reception at Buckingham Palace. By then, the Queen wasn't able to attend, sadly. It was hosted by the then Prince Charles and, and Princess Anne. That was very special. Yeah, I saw the photo. No secret, um, Andy and I made a bit of a weekend of it. We, we, we really celebrated and enjoyed ourselves that weekend. Um, and then the next stage from that is to receive your actual award the Lord Lieutenant comes to your premises. Right. So that happened in the autumn. The Lord Lieutenant is the then Queen's, now King's representative. And they come to your premises to present you with a scroll, which is the proclamation, and a crystal bowl. So we arranged a day, it was, which was quite nerve-wracking, actually, because you receive a documentation before they come, outlying everything, all the do's and don'ts, because you have to treat the Lord Lieutenant as though the King oh, or Queen really? is with you. Oh, yeah, it's where they sit, who looks after them, the etiquette, how you address them. You get all this briefing documentation before they come. So it was a little nerve-wracking. Yeah. So we, by then we were in our, our new premises, and we set up quite a big marquee in, in our car park, and we decorated it up. We invited lots of our friends, our family, people that have helped us on this journey, and various advisors. Even the bank came out for that one. Um, and uh, you have a very formal process, first of all. So the Lord Lieutenant came with her deputy. The deputy read out the proclamation, which we have here. It's just it such an honor. And then she presented us. Um, with with the crystal bowl. Now, actually, the Lord Lieutenant up here, she's a, a, a fly tire and, and an angler. So we just clicked. We had so much to talk about. We had such a lovely time with her. We, so much to share, so much in common. It was brilliant. Did you give her and, some uh, silk? We gave her a whole box of materials <laughs> to take home and enjoy. Yeah, no, she went away with a goodie box which she was thrilled about. 131, As I said, it is a very special place, and most people who have fished it would agree with me. But the location is something else. As you drive up over the Cambrian Mountains and around to Clowedog, every now and again, the twist and turn, you get to see as you turn a corner. Clowedog, down below. There is a romance about the place, and you can almost sense... The stories of the Mabinogion and the Arthurian stories even. So obviously Arthur was Welsh, you know, and I think it's mentioned as well in the stories of Merlin around the Cambria Mountains. 
It's easy to draw up the image as you're driving around into these majestic, and I use the word majestic because that's what they are, as the winding road leads down into the lodge and the boats. This is a site which is totally different from it was when many years ago. But nowadays they have a fleet, I think it's 36 boats, and a really impressive lodge and shop, and boat jetties, which will make any water in the country envious. There's a great team that run the fishery now, and it goes to show what can be done when you get anglers running the water, because the two faces at the helm of Flinkloed of Trout Fishery nowadays is Russell Owen and Gareth Dixon, two of the biggest names in the international competition scene. But the lake itself is full of history, it goes way back, and the names as well of the bays and the arms conjure up some great memories. You've got the bigger, Breichavedu, Gronwen, the Tlwyd, which is one of my favourites, Bolchegle, which is one of the dams at the end of the lake, which often big fish get caught. And then there's Carter's Bay. The story behind Carter's Bay is when President Carter came to fish many years ago on his visit to Wales. But each one of these names and areas has stories to tell. And I was hoping to add to one of my stories yesterday when I hooked into something incredible. But many good fish over the years from Cloedog, but nothing like this one. Because while we were fishing, not too far from the cages, which is always a good spot for big fish for obvious reasons, I hooked into something which didn't budge. I played it for a while and went under the boat, the clever fish. The weight, you could just feel the weight. Before the fly just pulled out, you can imagine how I felt then. It's funny, when you're playing a big fish like that, you're almost in your head, visualising, taking pictures of it in the net. But it wasn't to be. So this isn't the podcast of the story of the Cluedo big fish which I had. But more of a story on what's on offer at Cluedo. And the day myself and Mike had, and the areas we fished, and give some advice to somebody wanting to fish it for the very first time. 132, Mark Thomas. Because uh, the area of the lake we're looking at now, the top end, you could wade here and you could watch the sedge pooper climb your waders and hatch on your waders. You know, you'd see that many sedge pooper sw- swimming in. And um, I'm sure I've mentioned it to you before, Kerry, uh, when we used to kill a couple of fish here, I've taken fish home, cleaned them in the kitchen to examine their stomach contents, and there's been masses of sedge pooper in the fish, mostly still alive. The contents would go into a pint glass, and it would stir it up and look at it, go to bed and get up in the morning, and the kitchen would be full of <laughs> full of sedges. You really? Know, they, they've actually hatched out overnight yeah, out of that. Uh, so they didn't die? No, the, no, they, no. The well, the fish had only recently taken them, you know, such was the hatch. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the sedge fishing used to be magnificent. I remember last, not last year again, because last year written off, but over there, the year before last, August time, some of Tim as well, Tim was up there a lot then with me, and then, especially that bank, more than over here. Yeah. It's very stony, isn't it? Whereas mm-hmm. here it's more weedy. And as the water was going down, you could see all the sedge people and the, and the, the cases the Cardis, yeah. The Cardis, yeah. There and the sedge. It was always in the afternoon, four or yeah. five o'clock. It was a phenomenal. 
rise. You'll get a lot of that um, black sedge along that bank there, as opposed to the um, the brown sedge, you know. Yeah. But um, the sedge hatches that we had years ago were absolutely magnificent. You know, you'd you'd stay as you could in those days till midnight. Yeah. And the fish would still be going, you know. Do you find that, like over the years, like I fished it for like thirty years, but this has always been one of those lakes. I fish it once a year. Mm. never really got to me until just before lockdown and it, it really gripped me then but you find like what i like doing you know flies have moved on and patterns totally but it's still nice to come to a place like this and fish traditionally like you did fish years traditionally, ago i think that's what it is kerry i think you know i've in my my time i've done a lot of competition fishing but um this is true fishing to me you're fishing against uh, a wild quarry um, you know, you're not on a stocked water where, you know, you can more or less guarantee fish. You can never guarantee fish in Taliban. As I said before, they, they dictate the rules and uh, you come up, you're anticipating a couple of fish and then every now and again you get that red letter day, you know, when the conditions are right, the fly hatch is right and the fish are moving and everything comes together and you get one of those days which keeps dragging you back, you know, you uh, you don't get too many of them. No. But when you do get one, it's... Um... 115, Ferox at last light. But it was still in my head. I thought, Jesus, you know, that fish is still there. And the, the good thing with these Ferox, they don't go far. So if you know there's fish in an area, it's worth going back time and time again because the chances are you're going to get him sooner or later it's not just okay I'll try to add a take and then try someone else you really got to persevere with these fish and go to those same areas now I know a good half a dozen or more actually areas where I know the likelihood there are big fish and they never go far away from there and this is the reason I go back to when I started saying, now oh, you've got to fish every day. Because I don't really know the, how much, or anybody really, a ferox eats. Because when you think about it, I don't know if it feeds every day. Because a lot of these trouts which I'm catching, they caught on a pound roach. I've even had one on a pound and a half bream before now because I didn't have any roach left that that particular fish actually came off in the end but it goes to show how much of a meal they take so I doubt if they'll take a roach a day so they may feed every couple of days maybe two days, three days, maybe four or five days, just don't know so this is the case it's when you're going over there if you go and you're spending two weeks no point fishing for two or three days having a break and then you go for another couple of days have another break you've got to fish every day because you just don't know when that fish is going to feed you could be fishing for three days and the fourth day you decide to go to the beach have a day off and that's the day it feeds and no matter what the weather is it doesn't matter to the fish so it shouldn't matter to you just get out there and make sure your bait is in the water and concentrate on the times where you know there's a likelihood you're going to get a fish. 
And after doing this for so many years, you do see a pattern in times and areas, and certain areas and different times, actually. But this one day, this one evening, as I said, I went round this island a couple of times, and it was tap, 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 nothing happened. 133, Alan Reese. But the thing with Waddington's are, there's two shanks, it makes it heavier, and when you're fishing faster flows or bigger rivers, it anchors your cast. So you can cast out, it's going to cut through the surface film, get down to a fishing zone where you want it, and as soon as you tighten that line, it's going to swim without really sinking until you come. it comes onto the dangle. And uh, they're quick and easy to tie. And you just fish that on the point, so you wouldn't... Yep, yeah, on the point, and I, I might put uh, either American Express on the dropper or a, a small tube, but 25 mil shank... That's about the right size for summer sea trout. I notice you've got um, the red head tie-in silk yeah. there for the body for the uh, head. Yeah, I lo- it makes such a difference. Yeah, but it's more for psychological. Angler. It yeah. is. It's more for anglers because at night there is no white light unless it's reflected off the moon. So generally, you, you don't see colours. You'll see shades of grey or black or white, and maybe that. Red turns out to be less grey yeah. than... Do you know what, just, just, this is a question no, I've just come up with, and I'm looking at that, and it's, like it's a silver body or a pearl body, that yeah. one, is it? Pearl, is it? Uh, on, the, on this one, it's yeah. silver holographic. Yeah. Um, and I think to myself, right, like when it comes to fishing for trout in the day, I find if it's a dull day, silver. Yeah. If it's a sunny day, gold. Now, you don't normally see any gold bodies uh, sea trout flies too, and that's obviously the reason. Yeah. So so the one thing is, for me, if the fish are fresh or relatively fresh, I'll fish a silver-bodied fly. But if I know there's fish, or I'm further further upstream, so the fish have been in the, the river longer, I'll fish black ribbed with silver. And, you know... I, All right, yeah, yeah. Right, so it, it's, so it's less, less silver. Yes, right, yeah. and there, there's more of a silhouette. Right, and um, you, you know the famous phrase for people in sea trout fishing is, "What do you catch it on? Black and silver. Um, what do you catch it on? Black ribbed with silver." There, there's no other description because at night, it, it, if you switch a torch off and look in someone's fly box, they're all yeah. black and silver. Yeah, yeah. 134, Jason Williams. We had fish, yeah. but we had to work for them. Yeah. 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 But the, my, my partner, my boat partner the day, you my nose, he did. What, did the fly go right in? Yeah. Never. There's two holes, as you go see it, right? There's <laughs> two holes, it went in and out. Never. I know we did it, and he was like, and I said, whoa! <laughs> and he looked, and then, uh, luckily, he was barbless. Yeah. And he came all the way out, like, so the four nostrils, no? <laughs> I'll t- tell you a story about I had I was fishing egg license and years ago. And I was fishing that in the shingle but bay, that bit of shingle yeah. in the bay. And it's casting out right into a gale. It was blowing a gale, but the fish were holding into that so he's casting out a damsel, big huge damsel with three inches long. And he's ripping it back and he's having I wanted one more fish to go and four fish kill it was. No catch and release in them days. 
And I went again, it just went round my head and wrapped round my head so fast. The next thing, and I went to go like that to get it all off the grass. And the next thing, my face started moving. It got into my cheek. It was so oh, cold. You didn't I, feel it? I couldn't feel it. And I was pulling my cheek. So I went in the car and everything's backwards in the mirror. So I had players and I was pushing it in further. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I go to the casualty in Regend, the Prince, Prince William Wales Hospital, whatever they call it in Regend now. Right. I walked in the car, even my hand over my face, because I didn't want to, it was embarrassing. A big lump of feather sticking up my cheek. Jeez. And I went in there, and the, the receptionist, this burst up laughing and called everybody. They got another look, yeah. yeah. Did they take a photo of him? Oh, Christ. And this doctor, then he, uh, fair play, he got me in pretty quick. They just get it out quick, you know, he numbed it up, and he couldn't even pull it through my cheek. It's got so thick, your cheek is so tough. He couldn't get the point uh, through. Wow. I remember I've had it in my uh, earlobe. And uh, when, when you try to pull out yourself, it's just an instinct. You stop. You stop. You don't know which one. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know it's going to hurt. Yeah. But uh, I did in the end. I yeah. did it. But uh, I had one in the back of my neck up in Cantrev, and I was fishing with um, Maxi. You know Maxi, don't you? Yeah. And uh, I said, Maxi, get a players and rip it up as quick as you can. Do it now. <laughs> <Don't>, you know. <laughs> And uh, it was in the back of me. He said, oh, it's right then. It's right then, he said. And Berkeley, you got the players. And I said, right, just do it. And before well, I could... Push it, it through or pull it no, out? No, pull it out, because it was gone in the back of my neck. And it was like, oh. it's got up to the dressing, you know. So it's gone in, like in... Can't pull the dressing through, really. And oh. so was, so he just said, he just got then and he pulled out a chunk of flesh on it. <laughs> oh. And I was still, I carried on fishing, and I could feel my... Back getting wet, and there was the blood running down the back of my neck, you know. Wow, yeah, but uh, yeah, I've had some hooks in me. Yeah, one of the things I did do once, I didn't set a hook into him, Tyrone, my mate, and it was really, it was bitter cold. It was starting of April, and it was really cold, fierce yeah. cold. We shouldn't have gone frost around everywhere, yeah. And then we would take the stuff out the car, and I told my mate Tyrone, all sorted, yeah, yeah. He said, I, I thought you said, yeah, but he said, he's, he obviously <laughs> didn't. So he slammed the boot down, and his thumb <laughs> got caught in the boot, and his face. <laughs> but he really couldn't feel it as bad as well, because yeah. it was so cold. But yeah. afterwards, his, his thumb was like three times the size it was. Oh, I didn't know it's 135, Ted Werry. Well, do you know what? I, we were talking earlier on about um, netting fish. I never, ever let anybody net my fish. No. <laughs> but I've got to be honest, if I had a fish now, I'd be quite happy for you to net mine because I know you've been through. Been through hell and back. <laughs> <laughs> what yeah. was he, about £10, you reckon? £10, £12? Oh, uh, yeah, it was, it was definitely double figure, yeah. I could have actually photographed it twice, it was that? but it was laid on top of the bloody net. Really? Do you talk to that guy now? I, yeah, yeah, still talk to him. Yeah. You don't talk about it though? No, no. <laughs> it's not a good thing. <laughs> it's not. No, and I, and I think um, because I'm not a competition man, other than fishing competitions for the crack and supporting clubs, if you're a serious competition man, there's no way in the world you'd say, let anybody net a fish. You no. just wouldn't do it. No. Well, with me not being a competition man, it never bothered me that much. It does now, I have to say. Yeah. 
I can understand what you meant, though. For people who are listening to this know, is you mentioned it on the last podcast about the big fish and you, yeah. the, the dropper got caught in the net, but yeah. Yeah. it was tangled in. Um, I say the one, one yesterday, it, it taught me a lesson. Um, and I've been meaning to do it, meaning to do it, never got round to it. And it was, it was the last half hour of the evening we were fishing. And this fish took me and I knew it was a real good fish. And it run and I, I just let the line go. I thought, well, I'm not going to touch him yet because he'll spank me. And little did I know, my fly line, as I'd been pulling it in, had got wrapped around oh. the strap that boats the back of your seat to the, With the, to the thing when yeah. you're travelling. I know what you mean. And the next thing I saw was my line going tight and I couldn't do anything about it. It, it, it knotted actually around the, the strap. But it won't do this morning because you'll notice they're no longer there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just nine times out of ten, it's a simple thing oh. that will lose your fish. If it's, if it's down to you losing it, I know a lot come off for no apparent reason. It's worse then, when you, but it's your own fault. Oh, it, it is. Oh, yeah, it is. But it won't happen again. No, it won't. Immediately I got the boat up on the trailer last night and got it in the garage. I fetched the standing knife and cut both of them off. 136 Ferox and Mayflies. But as you're trolling slowly around the front, you can see so much fly coming off. They were both the Duns and the Spent. This was around about 6 o'clock in the evening. So I just watched and watched as the motor passed. And there was some amazing big fish rising there. So I thought, right, let's give it a go. So I pulled the trolling rods in and just motored quietly into the lee of the islands and waited and watched and these fish were still feeding there was a wind coming round the point and on the edge on the seam you could see where the rough water goes into calm you could see one or two fish consistently rising and these were big fish there are some uh, big fish areas you can see one of my favourite places where you can catch good trout. Steep water, relatively close in. These big fish aren't far from the islands. So we waited. I set up the rod, put the two dries up and waited. And then there was another good fish. I covered him and he came up three times. I covered him each time. And he actually swirled. And I thought you took the flight the third time. I lifted nothing. I was getting quietly excited now. And things, we waited there probably about half hour, and things started to go slack. But I just cast the line out and give the rod to Gloria now. Try to explain to her how to cast and to keep the line tight. And as I did that, would you believe it? Fish took. She lifted the rod, and you can imagine it was pandemonium. That's the first time she held a fly rod. So we did manage to get this fish in. After a, quite a, a funny battle, uh, brought to the net, and to my amazement, it was a beautiful fish. I, I would say it would have been around about six pounds. But one thing I did notice, it wasn't your usual fly feeding fish. You know, the smaller heads and the fatter body. This to me seemed like it was a ferox. He had the typical ferox head, slightly lean body, so it made me think. These fish, which are out in the deep, I think this was a young ferox. These fish would have been out in the deep, 
And when there's enough fly, they just come in, whether or not they're inquisitive or they just want to see, they can see a lot of other fish coming, feeding on the fly. This is a possibility, smaller fish feeding, congregating, so they're coming in to see. I don't know, but for some reason, these fellows have been known to come into the islands in the shallow water at mayfly time. Some of these fish which are moving were the five, six pound plus fish, maybe bigger, which is exciting to see. So this fish, I think, was either an opportunist or he just thought that, you know, there were fly coming up enough to feed. But that was a special time for me. Gloria's first fish, playing the fish. So she's hooked now anyway. There's more gear to buy now. Um, so after a few photographs, we slipped the back. 139, Jackie Mahan. Unbelievable first oh. time fishing for me. For me anyways, you know, like most days we were averaging, most evenings, sorry, we were averaging five or six fish an evening. Oh, don't say that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we had a clunker in between us and lost an even bigger fish like Hugh and McGregor there from Scotland was with me there. And he had won £7.10. What, the actor? Uh, yeah, the actor, as we call him. We call him Lucy. That's what we call him. Because he gets that many fish with me. He has to get the nails done before he comes to Ireland. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, we uh, we actually we, we had a, actually had a real you know, stumper of a fish. It's £7.10. So an hour and a half it actually took us to play that fish. Wow. He's a fisherman, is he? Yeah. Wow. He surely is. He's not the actor now. He's not the actor. Oh, it's not the actor. But, uh, oh, I thought he was a singer. No, one. it's not the actor. No, 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 no. He's not the actor. All oh, right. But, uh, but the the fish was just superb. Hour and a half. Before we lost, an hour and a half, five weight rod, uh, four point four frog hair. Um, it was just just we couldn't do nothing with him. You know, just to do nothing with him, he just stayed deep, and that was it. Oh, what big is this? Seven. Get Seven pound ten. Wow. Yeah, seven pound ten. Uh, we we got him in. We uh, we weighed him and we put him back. And he swam away. Nice. So yeah, did, yeah. Did he come blind or did you cover it? We seen him coming up. I, the evening before, I had another two clients, and uh, I we there was a fish coming up the shoreline, and he was just absolutely ploughing into spent. The spent were actually falling from the bushes. And he was only in around four or five foot of water. And everything that came off the bush, you know, when they were dancing the spent, yeah, that yeah. hit the water, yeah, yeah. he was having them. He was having them. Oh. And uh, I spotted this fish coming up the shoreline the evening before. And I said, lads, this is one of the big lads coming. You, you just knew, like, every time he rose, it was he was pushing water, as I'd say. Oh. You know? Yeah, yeah. And, and um, he came up right up the shoreline beside us. And uh, one of the lads threw into him. We didn't even see him taken. He just, he absolutely, he just, boom, bang, just hit it. <laughs> Took off like a train. Real screaming. And then he came out of the water and I got a look at him. And he was definitely in the double figures. He was definitely, definitely in the double figures. There's no doubt about it. Oh, this wasn't that eight pounder. That was another fish. No, this was another fish. This was another fish. That was one of the, the big lads wow. we lost the evening before. And uh, I went back to the same spot and uh, wasn't expecting, to be to be honest with you, to, to, to hook 
couldn't land another one in the same spot, and we did. Wow. You know, that's the way it was. What what I found this year with Arrow uh, Curry was that um, a lot of the time, if, where we were getting a lot of fish last year, uh, they weren't there this year. The fish were actually, I, I think, they were moving around feeding around the lake more freely this year. If you're listening to this podcast and haven't yet joined as a patron, you can listen to the full 162 episodes by tuning into patreon.com forward slash Caster Jones. Next weekend, we'll see part two of my Christmas podcast and summary of 2023. Have a great Christmas, guys. And as always, may they always be up in the wave. can't do this podcast without mentioning the passing earlier this year of John Graham, a true legend of the sport, and chatting with him was my highlight of the year. Our thoughts are with his family at this time of year. Well, there's one question I ask now. Every podcast I do, there's one question I ask everyone. Go on, bye. Where would you want to be to make your last cast? Oh, that's a hard question to answer, that is. That's a hard question to answer. To make my last cast, I can think of a thousand places. I can think of a thousand places I've been. Any pools? Yes, but then a lot of them are no longer there. The river has changed out of recognition. I got such memories. There's nothing like sea trout to give you lasting memories. Yeah. It does, it gives you lasting memories. You know, the night, a, a night with cloud and the moon sailing through the cloud, like it's like a galleon, a gypsy night I call it, and strong wind blowing upstream. Them nights the big sea trout used to be on the run and you'd be fishing and, and casting against the elements, whacking it into the wind, you know what I mean? And when they used to take it, they used to take it with vengeance. That's the sort of dynamic fishing I remember. Fantastic! So where would you like to go fish? I can't, I can't answer that. (laughs) Because there's so many. I've been to so many pieces of beautiful water. Well, it's been a pleasure to have come here and to share this knowledge you've got. <laughs> I, hope it was, I hope it's worth it for you, boy. I've absolutely loved it. And I can see now why so many people have told me over the last 12 months, you need to speak to John Graham. And I'm really glad I did. And I really appreciate it. Thank you, Gary.